Hey guys, welcome to Not Just a Hashtag Podcast, presented by Trees of Hope. I'm your host, Nicole Escobar, with my co-hosts, Anissa, Kristen, and Mariah. On this podcast, we will be discussing the epidemic of sexual abuse, its realities, and the unfiltered ways in which it has affected all of our lives. We share our personal stories and how our lives have been restored. While this podcast is for everyone, we do want to let you know that we use several trigger words and this is geared more towards adult audiences. This podcast is for anyone who wants to educate themselves on the statistics behind sexual abuse, signs to look out for, and how to prevent it from happening. So let's get to it. Hey guys, welcome to episode 17 of the Not Just a Hashtag podcast. My name is Nicole Escobar and I'm your host and I'm here with the tribe. How are you guys doing today? I Yummy. feel refreshed <laughs> today. You look refreshed. Oh, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Great. It was an early morning, but it was good. Good morning. What's mm. an early morning? Uh, six, which is not that really that early for other people, but since I usually work into the evenings. It's a little earlier. Oh, that's Mine's true. Six that's early morning. The sun's not up yet. That's early. Okay. If you're up and it's dark that's outside, valid. that's that's an early morning. It really depends on the um, the. Oh my gosh! The the shoot, I gotta stop the saying season? things that I don't, don't actually know. Um, <laughs> Daylight savings. Thank time? you. Okay. Oh, that's true. Because yes. if you get up at six, it's bright. Yeah. In um. Whatever. Time so if you get up at changes. six in a few months from now, it's not, <laughs> not early. early. You're literally with the rest of the world. So don't go. pat yourself on the back. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not proud. Or Kristen, she's like, I just it was an early morning. <laughs> yeah. Meanwhile, I rolled out of bed at nine, so <laughs> and it's an early morning for me. No, I stay up super late working until endless hours of the night doing my job because I'm a good worker and actually I come alive at night I don't know about any of those people but yeah I come alive at night so Nicole is a little night owl mm-hmm. I do I utilize every single moment and my poor husband is always like okay see you in the morning when I'm like going into bed and he's like waking up to go to work but it works for me great let's get into it now so this is the second part of the series we're doing that covers family dysfunction and how that can cause some problems on your healing journey if you didn't listen to last week's episode check it out because it will make more sense these are connected episodes but if you don't have time to listen to last week's episode no problem let's do a little recap for you We discussed two common dysfunctions. Number one is needy family members who receive an inappropriate portion of the family's time, attention, and energy so that members learn to be overly responsible toward this needy person and irresponsible about themselves. Or number two, denial and secrecy are promoted. So before we get into the episode, we want to remind you that no family is perfect and every family has some sort of dysfunction to some extent. We are not going to bash our families and our parents. We are not going to blame them for our issues. We are just going to use this information for as a resource, as acknowledging our dysfunctions in the family and to remove those barriers and to move forward in strength. The only way to move forward in your life is to acknowledge that certain things exist, especially in your family, to overcome them and to move forward and not keep going back and holding on to them. Yeah, and I think even next week, you'll kind of give a, a nice kind of re- recap and closure of, of the hope and not leaving you guys with, okay, this is all this stuff, now bye-bye, good luck, you know, just the fact that there is redemption, and I can't wait for that. So you guys, tune in next episode. Yeah, that's so great. I'm actually really excited for that too. So let's get into the episode. So we want you to remember that last week we covered two dysfunctions. This week, we're going to cover two more. And then the last week, which is next week, we are going to cover one last one. So before we get into the episode, let's have our current event, Anissa. 
Okay, so I'm not going to say any names, but um, there was so much drama with this NFL player just because he was getting bounced around from a bunch of teams and people were already upset about it. And then he finally got signed with a really big team that has a ton of bandwagon fans. And as soon as he signed with them, these claims came out from a woman that had been raped by him. And so when that happened, um, a really famous sports writer said a bunch of very ignorant things um you know he really put his foot in his mouth and he was talking about convenient timing you know he just got signed and now this woman is coming out of the woodworks to talk about how on two different occasions he had sexually assaulted her and then the third time he raped her understandably people were really up in arms about it this article says the sports writer's tweets were heavily criticized and displayed a lack of understanding of sexual assault survivors and why some choose not to report immediately if at all later wednesday he apologized stating that he had received plenty of insight as well as stories from survivors about why they did not go to law enforcement and this was his apology I believe in due process. I believe in innocent until proven guilty, which clearly doesn't take place in the court of social media. However, this morning while addressing the whole situation with the player rape allegations and civil lawsuit, I expressed concern about the timing of the lawsuit. I also shared what I now realize is an uninformed opinion about how rape survivors should conduct themselves after experiencing an assault. Since sharing that opinion, I've received plenty of insight and heard a handful of moving stories that explain why rape survivors don't immediately involve law enforcement. I now understand more about the shame that comes from enduring such an incident, and I apologize. So it was really refreshing to see, I mean, after he did say some really awful things on, you know, a public platform, and I'm sure that woman was able to see them and read them, and since he's such a famous sports writer, it was on TV, and um, I love that he apologized i think that you know along with that apology a lot of people are also able to see these women share their stories and that was encouraging too that women are coming forward and talking about why they didn't report and it's something that we've talked about here so that's what's happening in the news <laughs> when it comes to sexual assault things are coming up every day that i'm like hmm, i could definitely talk about this on the podcast thank you anisa that was a good one really like that a lot all right so now let's get into the episode. We covered two last week. We're going to cover two this week and one more next week. So the third of the five is a dysfunctional family has either repressed emotions, explosive emotions, or both. Kristen, you had some great feedback on this. Sure. I was going to talk a little bit more about um, just the, re the idea of re repressed emotions. I'm going to cover both of them. So um, repressed emotions are different than suppressed emotions. When we suppress emotions, sometimes it's functional. In other words, you may be upset about something and you're at work and you really can't feel the weight of whatever that thing is right now. So you need to kind of suppress it, hold that back. Um, when this is something that's done on a regular basis, of course, it's not a good thing because then you're always denying how you're feeling. So that's not good. Um, repressed emotions are where you're almost burying, uh, burying the emotions so deeply that it almost is not even in your level of consciousness anymore. You're not really even aware that it's there. And so, um, when someone in a family is doing something like that, have, that has, they have repressed emotions. Um, it's, it's interesting because being around someone like that, it's almost like they'll deny um, whatever that emotion is to your face. So it seems um, almost illogical that like they wouldn't be mad at something that would normally make someone mad, but you're going to probably feel it from them. In other words, the, because the emotion is still there somewhere. So have you ever been around someone and you felt like you felt their energy? They're denying completely that there's any emotion associated with whatever it is, but you have felt that, um, again, that anger or that sadness or something. They just won't articulate it. And that, that by the way, is called incongruence. When we're not, we're not consistent with what we're saying, and then also what we're displaying. So there's something inconsistent with that. So that's incongruence. And so when you have um, family members that are like that, or that's the pattern in your family where emotions are repressed, of course, something like sexual assault or sexual abuse has happened. Um, that's it. Obviously, it's not a safe environment to explore what's happened. Um, a victim is already feeling confused and overwhelmed with the things that they're feeling. But if emotions are repressed in the family, 
there's there's no real way or there's nowhere to go with that you know um on the other hand we have explosive emotions so this is the it's almost like just the other end of it the other end of it, the extreme so explosive emotions is everything as loud and potentially even out of control so again if you look at a situation where someone you know is a victim of um, abuse and the emotions in their family are explosive then let's think about even if that anger is directed accurately or appropriately rather um, to the abuse happening like I can't believe such and such happened with you know the neighbor down the street or your uncle whomever you know that it was um, that still is scary for that child um, that survivor of the sexual abuse you know even though it may not that anger may not be directed toward them again it's still creating an unsafe environment because there's already tenderness there you know that child is experiencing there's already confusion there's already um, hurt going on the last thing they need is either one of those extremes you know so it's hard and what can end up happening too is that unless that person Unless that child has a, a safe place to go to, somewhere to actually talk about what happened, then a lot of times they're going to shut down. Mm-hmm. You know, either one of those are really dysfunctional extremes of the spectrum. You, you keep saying child, but like as you were talking, I'm like, I do that. Like a child, like because my dad has recently done that oh, to sure. me. I remember you kind You're of, right. Yep. I talked about chi- children, but yeah, this. This can affect. And adults, adults as well. Absolutely. Same kind of patterns. Mm-hmm. But so the good. difference, I think, with adults, though, is that we have more resources mm-hmm. to find, to actively find someone that is that can be safe for us, a place that we can talk, whether it's a professional or a friend, <clears throat> whoever that is, whereas a child may not know, obviously, may not know those things. Right. You That's know? really and they're they more vulnerable. Stuck. And they feel stuck, yeah. And it's their normal. Yeah. That's oh, what sure. they're learning. And I think maybe even as adult, like those things, if they don't change, that's still going to be something you deal with. So therefore you isolate yourself, at least for me from in, in the first part of even telling my stories, I didn't feel safe. So now it's like, okay, can I, is it safe? Like it wasn't really when, as I was a child, but can I do it now? And if it's, if it hasn't, if I don't know, like has everyone do, done their part to get out of those behaviors and if not, can I really have a safe place to talk to my family about that sure. as an adult? I don't know. Well, and I think, I think it kind of reinforces, no, yeah. too, that, um, that whatever happened to you either doesn't need to be talked about mm. or the only way, it, it, again, it can be talked about is in an explosive, out-of-control manner, which, which still produces shutdown. Mm. It's rare that a victim is just going to get... Um, explosive about what happened to them in the first place because of the shame mm, that's really you know good. or sometimes that explosiveness just comes out in, in kind of an implosion mm. so they're taking it out on themselves that's what i did yeah. well that's i what have I a do. question so i guess like i'm very confused now because but i'll speak very honestly and i know my parents listen to this and they'll understand both of my parents like growing up i i feel like which I'm not a parent, but like they did snap like people do. Um, like, you know, my dad would snap very like badly, but, and I, as now as an adult, and I feel like I was never like this as a child, but as an adult, I do that. And I've never chalked it up to my abuse. I've just thought like, I kind of grew up in an environment where if, you know, my parents got pushed far enough and they lost it because I was driving them crazy and being ridiculous and out of control like this is what they did and so I've always chalked up like when I have extreme emotional outbursts and sometimes it will be in like very ridiculous situations or it will be like I'm gonna fight with my husband and I just like lose my mind and I do feel like I actually like lose my grip on reality like it's so bad I feel like I get so so mad well and i think you know it's a little bit i I, what i would say is a couple things we're talking about like the some uh, someone experiencing sexual abuse or assault and then kind of how the dysfunctional family affects how they deal with that or if they're even able to deal with it then we're talking about conflict patterns so a lot of times we will end up as adults mimicking what we saw as children 
for sure. Even if we, it's not, we don't necessarily do that growing up, although a lot of times you will end up seeing it growing up too. What I mean by that is that you will, if your family is explosive in the way in which they handle anger, um, a lot of times you will mimic that growing up too. Like that's just what we do. That's how you handle yeah. anger. And, and I literally said that. Sure. It's mm-hmm. very normalized because that's what you saw, particularly for conflict. And so we will usually repeat that until we recognize that, oh, maybe this is not working. Maybe this is hurting my spouse, especially if we marry someone who didn't come from that same background, Mm. right? And they're just like, what in the world is, what's happening here? You know what I mean? They feel um, attacked. Poor David. Yeah. No one in his house is like ever like talked above this level, like ever. So David Mm. is just like, (gasps) yeah, yeah. That's so good. I I really relate to like even the repressed emotions and and I think like because I imploded and I somehow survived by what was it repressing or what was the one that you just kind of like put away so you can function suppressing Mm -hmm. it wasn't until I started kind of facing these things that then I started exploding outwardly because I'm still not dealing with actually the root of it. Like right. even in a relation, like a relationship setting, maybe I'm hurt or maybe like I'm frustrated at myself. And so all of a sudden I'm exploding, trying not to implode and they get it. It's gotten better. But now that makes sense. Just kind of like, um, suppressing into these repressed things and then I still find myself kind of doing that sometimes where you're like, oh gosh, why am I so irritated right now? There's something deeper. Sure. Maybe I'm not really dealing with because I've repressed it. I don't know. Yeah. It's, and well, listen to, and everyone is wired differently. That's the other thing. I mean, you know, especially as a therapist, I really look at everyone individually. People don't walk in and I'm not, I don't have clients that come to me and I categorize them. That's good. Like, okay, this is this person. They've been through this. Okay. This is exactly how it's going to go. I do not see it that way at all because everyone mm-hmm. truly is wired differently. Their experiences are different. So it's an individual situation. Yes, there are some similarities and mm-hmm. things, of course. Yes, there's some some patterns, but I don't predict, you know, that this is exactly what it's going to be. That's you know? a really good thing to know. Like even as a listener to these episodes, because I think for me, it's so easy to be like, oh, then maybe that's what I'm doing, <laughs> you know, and oh, to sure. know that everyone's different, then you can kind of just slowly unveil the layers without assumptions and without digging when it's not ready when you're not ready or something i don't know yeah it's all really good thank you so much for sharing that Kristen. so So in this dysfunction families will transmit messages that say don't express your feelings don't cry don't get upset don't get angry or don't ever tell anyone outside the family the secrets because it's a betrayal to the family Um, a healthy family would permit and model on how to express your emotions Growing up in a healthy family, you should have learned how to identify and deal with your feelings. Mm. In a dysfunctional family, certain emotions are forbidden. So we want you to begin evaluating how you learn to feel shame about your feelings and your responses in your family. Survivors of sexual abuse are sometimes unable to express the feelings necessary for recovery because they learned in their family that feelings were not acceptable. This is especially true if the feelings are negative and if the feelings directly concern a family member. Well, and if I can say too, just as like an example with that, um, when you said like, especially if the feelings are negative, I mean, like you see this sometimes, this type of a pattern in families that are like, everything has to be positive all of the time and only happy emotions and it's okay. And we're going to pick ourselves up and like, keep on going. And there's sometimes when obviously that's helpful and you want that resiliency, but that's not, life is not always perfect and wonderful and happy. And so to never allow anything but happiness and positivity, um, I think is just really unrealistic. You know, there's dark and there is light, like there's night and there's morning. Like it, it just doesn't, it's not balanced. Is yeah, what I would you say. see those things as negative. So sure. when I, like when you cry, like, oh, so sorry, sorry. You know, no one wants to be around someone that's mad or no one wants right. to be around who's sad, but Maybe because, I mean, that's seen as negative when we got to learn how to express that. Well, remember too, a lot of this is unsaid. That's the Mm, other thing. A lot of times these like family rules or the way in which families work is not necessarily like, these are the 10 rules of our family. A lot of times it is very unsaid. It's just implied. So you feel it. 
Mm-hmm. You know, you feel it and the, and the actions are done, but it's not necessarily because anyone sat down and said, this is the way it's going to go. Unspoken rules. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Okay, that's awesome. Thank you for sharing that again, Kristen. So each family member sends us messages about ourselves. The person who sexually abuses says, you are worthless. You are no good and you're guilty. Sometimes parents or guardians send the same message, not through sexual abuse, but by their words and attitudes. We want you to evaluate the message of the people who supported you and anyone who abused you. Then you can make a wise, informed, healthy choice. You can choose to reject any false messages given to you. Something else we want you to think about is how you have responded to or compensated for the way your family expressed feelings. So the number four dysfunction of five is a dysfunctional family does not teach effective living skills to their children. Yeah, so Nicole, let me let me kind of share a little bit here. Um, when you think about like the way in which we've responded, I've talked about a little bit of that already as far as when our, the, our families are dysfunctional. Um, but some of the compensations that I think that we can do is sometimes we end up going the other direction. It's almost like if you think of it like a pendulum, if your family is on one extreme, a lot of times you will go then to the other extreme, right? So it's like um, if your family never talked about anything, um, you may be the first person in the room to talk about everything and it's almost like even maybe a little uncomfortable, right? You just blurt everything out because you never had an opportunity to talk when you were younger or it wasn't expected um, or allowed rather. Um, it could be too, like we were talking about, um, where you, a little bit ago, Anissa, where we were, where you kind of mimic the conflict, um, patterns, you know, from your childhood. But again, compensation, a lot of times you're going the other extreme is really what it is. Um, you know, or you feel like, you know, it can also turn into manipulation where you feel like you have to manipulate people into listening to you, or you have to develop, um, all kinds of drama in your life to get attention because you feel like you never, um, had attention paid to you, you know? So a lot, I've seen a lot of those patterns too, that happen in people, um, where it's almost like they're perpetually in bad relationships or bad situations. And a lot of it, unfortunately is, is kind of self induced. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because it's like, okay, because I see I can get attention this way. If you think of it right, like teenagers that sometimes will, or kids will sometimes act that way. You know, if I, if I scream and yell and I'm bad or I throw a tantrum, I get attention. Like even negative attention is still attention. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Makes sense. Yeah. I actually really felt like that was very life giving what you just said about the part of, um, you compensate by going the other direction. And then because your family never listened to you, you end up always bringing up your emotions and you stand like on every little thing that happens. You're like, Oh, I want to talk about this. Right. I feel like I relate a lot to that. And, um, so how do you fix that? Um, you know, I think that uh, so much healing, and I say it probably I'm a little bit of a broken record with this, but so much healing can happen in healthy relationships. We have to be in community with other people and, and ideally that are fairly balanced and healthy. No one is perfectly healthy. We all have things that we have to continue to work on. And you know what's cool is that God promises when he started a good work in us that he is going to complete it. And I remind people that he promises, promises us that he is going to complete that. So being in community, being in relationships with other people, when I say community, I'm just saying you can't have just one friend and expect that that's going to be enough. However, that's a start. And I want to encourage anyone that is listening. You may not have a friend right now, right? You're like thinking like, well, Hey, I just have one, or I, I would like to at least have one. That's good. That's a start. But having several people in your life that are positive and that are um, healthy and balanced and can give you feedback and being willing to listen to that feedback like hey I see some patterns or I see some different things going on with you and actually you being willing to listen to that is big because that's painful sometimes to hear that feedback that's really good I think it made me think of even how the community that I have the friendships that I've been able to foster through the past 11 years they have given me a voice and they have spoke things over me like you're not small like you you have the ability to stand and say what you need and what you don't need and um just all these things that now just as you were thinking i literally thought hmm you know i can navigate what i need to say with my family but i do have a voice and maybe i don't always need to have it with my family until 
maybe I work through some of the things or maybe I don't need to say it and maybe I do need to say it and no matter what I think just being grounded in the fact I'm just literally thinking about this now is you know I used to you know being honest and even with my mom listening love ya thank you for listening but even through the years I used to just really judge my family because I looked on other families and because there was dysfunction um, and a lot of hurt and chaos and I wasn't allowed to talk about it so finding that voice has actually helped me not despise them or judge them anymore and I needed them to be a certain way for me to be happy with them and it's a fight always and I do it because I do love them and I want to love them better and not need so much from them anymore and being in my 30s now it's like in my 20s I needed to do that I needed to talk through I was going through healing and angry and facing these things that I repressed but now in my 30s like I really want to enjoy my family I want to soak up the time I have left and not be so broken coming in and need them to fill all these things for me to heal and I, yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, I mean, that's just so powerful, right? To take them, to accept them as they are. And I'm, listen, I'm not talking about, um, patterns of abuse and patterns of dysfunction that are really harming people, exactly. you know, but then again, as adults, we can't control other adults. That's the other reality, but it actually accepting them as they are and realizing that you don't have to get everything from your family and there's things you're going to be able to get and things you're not going to be able to get. And how can I still like be in relationship with them. And for some people, it has to be some pretty heavy boundaries. I was just going to say, it made me think of like, maybe you are accepting the fact that your family is not safe and they're abusive. Mm -hmm. And it may be hard for you to say, I'm not, I'm, I'm dissing my, my dis, I'm disconnecting, sorry, away from that. And that's really powerful as you heal and and you're safe. Absolutely. Anyway. Yeah, I feel like that's a very mature stance, like what you're doing is to look at your family, recognize the brokenness and realize at the same time you care more about um, their time, the time that you get to experience with them. It was it was like a flash that hit me the other night when I was with my family. And that was that it was like, Mm -hmm. I'm not going to we were driving in the car and I was like. I should cherish these moments because I don't know how many times I'll be able to be in the car with my whole family together laughing about rafts driving and, um, you know, and my dad just saying the silly things that I think I think are annoying. But I'm also like, they're really funny. They've created the who I am today and they've given me a personality. So it's a mature place to be. I'm not 100 percent there. I'm trying to work my way there. And yeah, it's like it's trying it's saying to yourself what's more important appreciating the time we have with them or looking at all of our dysfunction and being like i'm in this yeah. and i'm just going to keep focusing on that i feel like i was there a couple of years ago and i'm slowly making my way to the mm-hmm. other side i think that's part of dealing with this stuff yeah. and, and letting yourself be on the other side to work towards these like you said maturity Mm-hmm. Yeah, and also um, what you had said about the community thing was really good um, mm-hmm. because I recognize that for so long I would harbor on those things about not being heard and everything else because I wasn't also getting that in the community that I was in as well. And so although those friendships, I cherish them and although some of I've moved past some of them and just because they weren't, you know, w- they're not what I need anymore and vice versa. Um, but I have new friends in my life, you guys being them mainly, and um, how I always feel heard with you guys. Like, I always feel like I have a thought that comes on my mind, and I'll be like, what are your guys' thoughts on this? Like, what do you think? And you guys always give me good feedback that's very balanced, so I really appreciate that. And then my husband, who's always there to also say, hey, I think you're looking at this in the wrong way. So I love that you said that, Kristen, because... I feel like it's only been the last two years that I've been able to experience that. And so that's really a good feeling. I know what you mean. I mean, like, honestly, anybody would snap. If you go from, like, a workplace where you're not heard, like, you don't have a voice, you feel very silenced, and then you go home, and you, like, don't have room to talk, and you're not validated, and then you feel... I mean, like, literally anyone would go crazy. I felt like that. Sometimes I, like, do struggle... David, I love you so much, but it's like even when your feelings aren't validated in one place that you were expecting them to be validated, and then it's like, oh my gosh, like I feel like who can I talk to? 
it's really hard it's hard to go from place to place to place and feel like i can't talk Mm. yeah um so this is all really good and i hope that it's been life-giving to you and because it's really helping us too (laughs) it is got me choked up over here (laughs) (laughs) okay so now number four of the dysfunctional family uh, is a dysfunctional family does not teach effective living skills to the children. A healthy family provides an environment that allows children to grow according to their own developmental needs. Children then learn to love themselves and others and to trust that that world can be a friendly place. A child also needs a fairly consistent and stable environment. Um, you know, we hear this all the time when a child is moved from home to home or person to person, it's unstable. They can't thrive in that type of um, situation. Each family system teaches us something very deep about ourselves, and we know that that the messages are not always positive. No family is all bad or all good. That means we want to be as thorough and honest in the processing of our childhood and family as possible. This is hard for me, and I know, Mariah, this you mentioned this too, so yeah. any feedback you want to add. It's hard for me to remember portions of my life. Like, I can't remember a lot of good or bad things. So I struggle because I'm like, I really want to do the hard work. Like, I'm literally, I'm like that person who's signing up to, you know, do the work. And I'm like, I'm here, I'm here. But I can't seem to remember what would bring me to that next step. So what do you do in that type of situation? You know, I... I, um, I tell some of my clients that I, I really feel like God reveals things as we need to see them. Because I think if we go down hunting within ourselves, particularly if we go without the light, mm-hmm. and what I mean by the light is God is light, right? And love. And if we go without that and just go searching around, it's in darkness mm-hmm. and it's probably not going to be anything good. Meaning, I think that we'll, we're just going to lead ourselves to more confusion. This doesn't mean that self-reflection is not good or, you know, those things are good. But I think that sometimes, sometimes we just have to trust that, again, God's going to show us what we need to see when we need to see it. We're not always ready to see everything. And I'm not saying that that means that there's some hidden corners that we that we don't, we have no idea about. I'm not even saying that, but there's just some realizations that I don't know that we're ready for. So I think being open and just praying for God to search us, right. And, and show us what we need to see, what we need to know, what's the anxieties are within us. Trusting him for that, I think is really important. That's something that I help people with. Yeah. And, and being someone like that kind of struggle with like, you know, I have these gaps in my memories. I have these negative ones that I are like big, staple points right and I in therapy and did the same thing like I'm like I gotta dig deep in that and I remember that my counselor saying the same thing and it really set me free he's like let the Lord unveil what needs to be unveiled because there's a plan in that but I think it's because like I'm like desperate to get those gaps back and then I doubt like am I am I like not even perceiving my life right is it all negative because that's how I perceived it and either way that question doesn't matter now because it's there so I have to deal with it anyway I guess but yeah it's a hard one yeah it is hard yeah I'm not saying any of this is easy you know, but I just, um, the thing is too, I think also memory works different for everyone. That's mm-hmm. the other part of it. Um, biologically it may not work that much different, but I think all of us are wired differently. Mm-hmm. I know like my husband, for example, remembers, um, everything from, I don't like, it's crazy. Everything, every detail from childhood and all kinds of years and our first years of marriage and everything. And I'm like, Oh, I said that <laughs> I did that. I don't even remember. <laughs> and that was like 12, 13 years ago. And so my goodness, but that's his memory. That's the way it works. Um, that's not mine though. Mine doesn't work that way. And sometimes I don't understand the patterns of it either. Mm. That's the other thing. I really hope I'm not set up for dementia. Shut up. I oh always, I, no. I'm sorry. That's like my biggest fear is that this is like the precursor of dementia. The onset of dementia right now. <laughs> well, let me just tell you, I'm going to be very lovingly straightforward with you. You're being ridiculous. This is a not early onset dementia. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Probably particularly because if you look back, this is how you've been for a long time, right? That's just how your Demented. memory works. No, 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 no. Just that your memory is like that. A fog. But I bet too, there's certain things that you are 
precise on your memory on. And that's mm-hmm. what's interesting. I think it's how we're built. Like there's certain things I can walk into the room and see every single detail of like, oh, we should fix that, did it, did it, all those kind of things. My husband's not noticing that. Oh, sure. We're just wired yeah. differently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know? So basically, okay, so what you're telling me is it's okay to be what I am? Yes, it is. <laughs> I think <Thank> so. You. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> okay, that's cool. Because that's all you can be. Yeah, that's true. All right, so now we're going to move along on to the importance of appropriate touch. So building a healthy self-image in a recovering sexual abuse victim requires... Let me say that again. Building a healthy self-image in a recovering sexual abuse victim requires daily reinforcement in terms that demonstrate a person's value. We all need positive statements and healthy physical contact. We were created to give and to receive healthy physical love such as hugging, holding, hands, and kissing. Unfortunately, sometimes in a dysfunctional family, the only touches we have been experienced were bad touches. The result of this is extremely confusing. For example, if you wanted to be held, but the only time you received physical attention was during abuse, you may have felt guilty. This is a double tragedy. However, you can begin to understand that you were never in the wrong for having basic human needs. You are created with the desire to be physically touched and loved and have these needs met in a healthy manner. So we want you to think about the role that touch played in your family and childhood. Now, think about how to react when you are touched by someone. Um, For myself, I, for this one, I really struggled because, like I said, love was never communicated in a touch. So when my husband touches me, I don't see that as love. But in his family he was always touched and love was given. So what do you do? I don't know. This one is very confusing for me because I grew up in a home where like I was coddled all the time. Like my dad would like pick me up and swing me around and piggyback rides. And like my mom was like always like scratching my back and playing with my hair. Like I grew up in a very touchy home ever since like high school. I do not I never understood when my girlfriends would be like, like all over each other. It made me feel very uncomfortable. And I like, even if like my, my girlfriends were like cuddling, that weirded me out. And I, I always just felt like, I don't want to do that. I don't like that. And even now what's really funny. I feel like Nicole and I have an unspoken. Nicole is like one of my closest friends. We don't hug. We don't hug. We just don't do that. We don't do that. I don't know what it is because if I see Mariah, I'll hug Mariah. But it's just like, and with my other like best friends, we don't touch. And I don't want them to touch me. I don't know what that is where like, and with David, he like, I think all guys think their love language is physical touch. But like every guy's like, I just like, there's something about sex that makes me feel real loved. I, it doesn't, I don't do that. I like get so rigid and it's not that I grew up in a home that was weird with physical touch. Like I was touched all the time, (laughs) not in an abused way. Sure. Thank thank God. Right. Yes. Yes. Thank God. But what is that? I think it's honestly, I think it goes back to also, it's just, it's multifaceted. I mean, kids do need, um, affection. That's one of the ways in which they thrive. Um, they've done studies in other countries where kids, um, are left in orphanages um, where they don't have physical contact. They do not thrive, and a lot of times they will die because they have to have physical contact to grow. They will not develop without it. So touch is really important, particularly for development. And then um, ongoing through life. But again, everyone's different as far as their preferences. For some people, it was too much physical touch. And so there, it is too much. It feels like almost like they need a space, space around them, which we all do. But if you think about it, everyone's space around them is different. We all have a level of a bubble. And for some of us, these bubbles are really big. And for some people, they're really small. You, I think we've all talked with people who talk, stand too close. Um, right. Mm -hmm. Or people that are kind of awkwardly far away. So, you know, everyone's a little different. Cultures are different too. Um, I've heard where in, in, in certain, I think like kind of, um, 
I can't remember exactly which culture it was, but they, uh, someone from the U.S. was talking about how um, on tr- like public transportation, you get on the subway or something, and in that other culture, people go sit right next to you, mm-hmm. even if you're the only one on the subway station. Whereas over here, right, what do we do, right? How am I, we're like, okay, we're the only ones on here. I'm going to go sit like 20 feet away from you. We're all about space and spreading out as much as possible. So... Um, I think that we kind of have to just respect our preferences for that. I think if it's any, you know, I try to encourage balance. Um, but if it's anywhere to an extreme, like you always feel like you have to be next to someone or touching someone, there's, that's probably something to look at there. And if you're always avoiding any sort of touch, that's probably something to look at too. But all of us are built differently is what I would say. Um, but, but kind of like the compensation thing that we were talking about before, I think this sim, a similar thing can happen, particularly if boundaries weren't respected as a child. And let's say there was a whole lot of physical touch. There can be kind of a reaction later on where it's like, no, like it feels like a crossing of a boundary to have too much of it, you know, because boundaries really weren't respected or the opposite direction. Like there wasn't much affection. And so you're always looking for affection because you're trying to get some of what you never got. Yeah. You know, I think it can go both ways. Can I ask a question? Not that this is a little mini counseling session, <laughs> but I do want to know because this is good. Um, can it change from childhood? Because I relate a lot with what you had just said, Anissa, is that, you know, mom, dad, whatever, played a lot with us, like, right? And, you know, touch, just like you said, I can, rem- I actually are remembering some memories of being on my dad's back and laughing and being like, this is so great. Um, but then when you get older, you, okay, this is a two part question. Can that, can that touch that I received during that time be not emotional love touch, but rather I knew that it was father role, like just provider touch. Mm. Am I too young to even process that? Cause obviously I'm looking at this in hindsight. No, I don't, you know, I think that in some ways, sure, you were probably too young to process it then, but kids know feelings. Kids can walk into a room and feel when things are off, right? We know energies and feelings when things are weird or off or something, even if they can't pinpoint or analyze the reason why, usually actually they think it's because of them and something they did. But um, yeah, it's it's very possible. I don't discredit much of that feeling thing. Does that make sense? Like if we get a certain feeling about something or the way in which someone interacted with us, those are yeah, you're, there's a reason. Yeah, there's probably a reason you got felt that. that way. Yeah. Sure. Okay. Then can you change? Like, obviously, families are always evolving, changing. And so when a child, like a parent can play with a child and give them a lot of affection when they're younger, but as they get older and they maybe cause disappointment, the child like doesn't end up doing certain things that they like. And so they retract love. Can that overwrite the love that they received early on? I don't, I don't think it would override it, I, but I do think it would definitely cause confusion mm-hmm. because what that's teaching, that's what that's reinforcing is that you're only loved if you're good. It's performance love. That's exactly love performance. right. And that has been my biggest problem is that lo- love was received through, if my dad used to say to me all the time, you do good, you get good. And it was always like right. that. And so it's kind of sucks. And so how do you stop that from giving that to other people? Obviously being aware of it. And then by giving them love even during failures. I've been really working hard at doing that. Oh, yeah. Because because who is love for us, right? God is love. And he, we are accepted like nonstop. There's nothing that can separate us from his love. And I think that's our ultimate example. That be, and I think that's why sometimes some people have such a hard time understanding how God's love doesn't change for us, mm-hmm. how it's the same yesterday, today, and forever, how nothing, again, can separate us, you know, because it is fully accepting. We were, he, when we were sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, when we were at our worst, when he knew everything we were going to do going forward, everything we were in the middle of right now, and everything we did and still chose us. It's pretty crazy. Yeah. Like that's that kind of love. And so should we, I think, then show that kind of love to other people? I think that that's really what we're called to do, actually. Doesn't, again, doesn't mean that that's easy, right? Because that is hard. Yeah. That's hard to do, but especially, I would say, with kids. Yeah, we need to show that. I think even for me in the sense of, like, inappropriate touch growing up, 
and you know because I know that's like power and control and you know you're crossing boundaries so then you're confused about you know I want physical touch but if I don't want it I've learned that I can't say no and so then I feel trapped and victimized even if someone's either doing it well and then later in life because my brother you know I didn't really know I could say no or you know all that to say that web when I was abused as a teenager by my cousin I would feel so uncomfortable when he asked me to tickle his arm or he wanted to tickle my arm and I was dying inside Mm -hmm. but I felt like I couldn't say I'm not comfortable with that because then I would have to come to terms with why and then what if he does what if blah 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 and so then like I'm trapped inside myself and and I do find myself growing up like hungry for physical touch but then you know, even now, sometimes if I don't feel close to that person, when I'm, when I feel trust and and close, I'm like, I just love to be hugged. I want to touch them. And, and then if I don't, I'm like, "Mm, I'm uncomfortable with this, but I still have a hard time saying I'm not comfortable with that. Still do. Yeah. And I think that, um, but that's, I'm so glad you shared that because I think you're not alone. Yeah. You know, and I think the same way you were saying that these friendships have really helped you to find a voice, I think you probably have to practice it. And it can be so awkward, right? It's like we don't want to say, like, I'm sorry, I really don't want to give you a hug. Yeah. But you know what? You have every right because your body belongs to you. Mm. So you have every right to say that. As awkward as that can be. You know, because I know sometimes we think, oh my gosh, we're not supposed to, right? And then there's that whole thing too with um, that kind of like unspoken being a female. Yeah. Be cooperative and be nice and be all those special things. Um, But you don't have to give anyone a hug. You don't want to give a hug to. Yeah. And I think I've learned that in some ways with guys Mm -hmm. where I've actually been able to say, no, thank you. And they get so mad, but I'm like, no, thanks. Or like if someone's touching my leg, I'm like, I don't like that. You know, but in certain situations, it depends on who they are. It's, it's very, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, it can be it's good it to process be, it. Yeah. And again, you know what? It's so important too when we were talking about showing kids this. And I think you were just, actually, I think we were like right on getting, going to talk about that, you know, the appropriate touch thing. And like when kids don't want to be touched, that whole thing, when parents do that, like, you know, hug so-and-so, give a hug to so-and-so, that kind of thing. What we're doing is we're not teaching them that their body is their own and that they have the, the choice, they have the um, choice of whether or not they want to give so and so a hug it's healthy boundaries for them to be able to say no I don't really want to do that and that's okay because guess what so and so they may not be comfortable with right so what are we teaching them if we're making them give so and so teaching them that their body's not their own at at an early age yeah that's exactly what my parents had done to me one night they forced me to kiss my uncle uncle on the lips and sit on his freaking lap that is so bizarre Gosh. Okay, yes. you guys, I just had an epiphany. But I have I these problems that I have epiphanies and they literally go out of my mind. But I do Nick remember Pimpanies. what I felt. Okay, and I know you don't have enough time for this. I just remembered when you guys were talking is if if basic human need is to want touch, yeah. that's probably what I wanted with that guy who sexually abused me, right? Sure. And when I got negative touch from it, I shut down. So even if my parents were affectionate, I probably was rejecting them. And my dad has spoken to me numerous times about how I was the odd one where I was like, you can't see my boobies. You can't see. And then I, he said that my brother walked in on the bathroom and I literally lost it. Mm -hmm. I came out and I was like, mom, dad, he had seen my vagina. And he was like, it's okay, Nicole. He's not going to do anything. And I was like, no, no. And I was like overwhelmed. And my dad was like, we knew something was wrong. Like when you were overreacting about these things. Like, they couldn't walk in on me. If anybody walked in, I was, like, over the top. Could it be that that's what took place? I mean, that will give me some hope <laughs> that I'm not, like, oh, a sure. freakazoid that just doesn't, like, touch. But that I had learned at an early age that it wasn't good. Mm-hmm. So I kept that in my mind. And, like, touch got skewed for yeah, you right skewed off the bat. right off the rip. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, it's like, yes. it, yeah, that's a... That is actually, oh my gosh, that ends up teaching you a whole lot. It's a, it's, it's almost like shuts down desire within you. 
like even good desire. Yeah. You know, desire for good things, being touched, being affectionate, wanting affection. Those things are, are positive. That's coming from a good place. Yeah. Especially as a child. And to have it be twisted and turned like that and you be abused from that, that would very much shut down that part in you. Because what that teaches you is that your desire is bad. Oh, yeah. And to be honest, I mean, totally take this out again, David, but just between us, like us girls here, even like in sexual interactions with Raph and stuff, like he's always like, you know. Okay, so now what we want to do is talk about what touch has to do with personal power and control. If you were touched when you did not want to be and not touched in a healthy manner when you wanted to be, you may have a difficult time accepting touch. Whoa, that really resonates with me, guys. Like, I feel like that's exactly what I had just talked about. So you may not even know what an appropriate or inappropriate touch is. Survivors are often re-victimized because they are not aware that they can say no to touch. So we want you to think about how and when you are touched as an adult or as someone who has had some time and distance from your childhood and the ways that it makes you feel. Are you uncomfortable or do you feel affirmed and loved? And I want you to know that if you don't feel affirmed and loved by touch, you're not alone, right? So I feel the same way sometimes and I have to really fight those feelings um, and ask myself, is the person who's touching me giving me love right now? Sometimes I just have to reframe it like that. Remember that healing is a journey and there is no guilt or shame in feeling uncomfortable with being touched even if it's from a loving spouse or close friend that appropriately cares for you. Have hope that you can begin to view touch in a healthy way again. Mm -hmm. And that really does give me hope too and I hope it does if you're listening and you struggle in this area as well. So I hope that this one was life-giving to you. We heard a lot from Kristen which was really awesome. Um, It was kind of like a mini counseling session, and I feel like we all needed that today. So if you're not ready to deal with these dysfunctions in your family, that's okay. We just ask that you just keep coming back, and we will see you next week for the last dysfunction and a little redemption. Bye. Bye. Hey guys, thank you so much for listening to this podcast. We would love for you to subscribe so that you can get each and every episode right away. We'd also love to see you rate, review, and share this podcast with your friends. Every time you share this podcast, it not only means the world to us, but it also gives us more exposure. So to learn more about us, go to treesofhope.org. Bye.